If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 5, verse 14. Which, if you had never heard me talk before, this would blow your socks off. But since you have, you're going to go, yeah, uh, we know that. But verse 14 says, For all the law, all the Torah, all God's commandments, statutes, and judgments is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many times have I heard preachers say, Wayne says right here, all you have to do is love your neighbor. The rest of it's just done away with. You don't even have to love God. They've forgotten about the fact that loving your neighbor only covers half the types of the commandments. What he's trying to say is, if you love your neighbor, you will not break any commandments designed to protect your neighbor. You won't murder your neighbor. You won't steal from your neighbor. You won't commit adultery against your neighbor. You don't covet your neighbor's stuff. But this word fulfilled is what word? It's from plurao. Exactly right. <laughs> Emphasis on uh-oh. Yeah. And of course we know plurao from Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Plerosite from plerao. And of course, in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, the Apostle Paul uses those very same words to say, I have fully preached the gospel. And this fully preaching did nothing to abolish the commandments or the gospel message. Neither does Messiah fulfilling, which means to increase our understanding to the point that we clearly and correctly understand God's commandments, have to do with destroying them. In verse 14 of Galatians 5, that word fulfilled is actually papyrotai, but it's from the same word, plerao. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And we will see that this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is in the Torah. You can't abolish the Torah by the Torah. That's a logical fallacy that most of us would go, well, gee, that makes sense. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Because love does no harm. Let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Remember, the English word love is not the Hebrew word love. And the Bible is based upon the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word love is an action verb. It's how do you treat people? Do you treat them as you want to be treated? That's loving your neighbor. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, to begin. We'll go through verse 40, unless I forget and do something else. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? 
Yeshua said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the Ve'ahavta. Where's that from? Deuteronomy 6.5. This alone says that the law is not just the Ten Commandments, right? Because this couldn't be the greatest commandment in the law if it's not in the law. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Doesn't abolish them. They all fall under one of these two categories. If you love God with your whole heart, are you going to make an idol? No. If you love God with your whole heart, are you going to break Shabbat? That's also a no. Hmm. That should cause a lot of people listening to me on the internet to go, did I hear him right? Yes, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will not break Shabbat. Hmm. Let's go on to Romans chapter 13 before I get preachy. You also won't eat anything unclean because he says, if you want me to be your father, you will... Obey me and keep yourself clean. And where does God dwell? He dwells in your heart. Do you ask him to dwell in an outhouse? No. Romans 13, 19. Wait a minute. There isn't a 19. Hmm. Ignoring that, go to James chapter 2. I have Romans 15, 19. Oh, it's 13, 10. And you had what? Romans 15, 19. You have Romans 15, 19. We'll do 13, 10, then we'll go to 15, 19. In 13, 10 it says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Which is exactly what we were reading in Galatians, wasn't it? Now to Romans 15, verse 19. Romans 15, 19. That's the one that I referred to a minute ago, but this is where it's actually written. Romans 15, 19. And mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Messiah. That's the same plurao as in Galatians chapter 5, 14, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Etc. It would sound completely idiotic for Paul to say, I have completely abolished the gospel, wouldn't it? I preached it one time and forget it now. I preached it one time, you can forget it now. It's over, gone, not available to anybody else. You heard it. That's not following God's example because he went over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Have you noticed that God keeps repeating the same topics over and over as if we might not remember them? Hmm. Let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I was going to make this one a pop quiz, but we'll just turn there. James chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill... Hey, wait a minute. If you really fulfill... That is from 
an infinitive of emphasis. That is a Hebrew construct. Yeah, it means if you really fulfill, if you totally fulfill, if you... All that kind of stuff. But that means that... What's the underlying language here? It is Hebrew. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute. That's from the law. That's from the Torah. What does James call the Torah? The royal law. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of what? All. What does that do to the doctrine that the law can be divided into three categories? And two of those three categories have been abolished. We only need to follow the other, the third category. It says, whoever shall keep the whole law but shall stumble in one point is guilty of one third. It says is guilty of all. For you said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. If you do not murder, but you break Shabbat, have you become a transgressor of the law? Indeed, just food for thought. Back to Galatians. We're still in chapter 5. Verse 16. I say then. What does he mean by I say then? What's he trying to say? Tries to go back and read verse 15 again. Because I didn't read it. <laughs> verse 15 says, But if you bite and devour one another, oh my, my, my. If we bite and devour one another, are we treating each other with love? Nope. No. He says, but if you do, beware lest you be consumed by one another. What's he trying to tell us? That if we are backstabbing and backbiting each other, are we living in God's commandments or are we living outside of them? We're living outside. So I say then, because this is true, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is an interesting phrase. Walk in the Spirit. Too many people think, well, if I'm walking in the Spirit, that means I'm not keeping God's commandments. But it's just the opposite, isn't it? Where are God's commandments written if you are saved by faith? On your heart. On your heart. Where's the Holy Spirit? In your heart. The Holy Spirit is there to help us understand, to help us put things into practice, to help us worship and praise and glorify the Lord our God. So if we walk in the Spirit, we're keeping God's commandments. That's why, if you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hmm. Four. Before we get to the four, let's look at Ephesians 2. Walking in the Spirit reminds me of the book of 1 John. Walking in the Spirit reminds me of the book of 1 John. 
It says to test the spirits. So if you're walking in the spirit and you have the Torah written on your heart, you know which one's from God. If you're walking in the spirit and you have the Torah written upon your heart, you know which one's from God, which one's God? and which one's not. That makes an excellent point. Did God not tell us in Deuteronomy chapter 13 that we should test all the spirits, all the prophets, because let's go back and read that. Deuteronomy 13. They can even lead you astray and try and make you worship another God and thinking you're doing what? Thinking you're doing the right thing. Did Peter warn us that we can misunderstand Paul right to our own destruction? He did. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and it gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. I was just thinking today about how many preachers I've heard say that in Acts chapter 10, Peter sinned. Because God told him to eat that pig, and he refused to eat it. He sinned. There was one on the radio today was talking about it. One on the radio today was talking about it. But you know what? Peter had read Deuteronomy 13. And Peter knew that if even a miraculous thing takes place, and it tells you to be disobedient to God... Don't listen. And you never ever come, you never ever see Peter, Paul, James, John, or anybody eat a pig in the New Testament, do you? Not anywhere. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to Ephesians 2. Not that I'm easily distracted, but well, okay, you know me. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive. Well, we used to be dead to sin. He's made us alive. Were we made alive to walk in sin some more? No. And he made you alive who are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Uh-oh. Who's the prince of the power of the air? That's Hasatan. So who is it that wants us to sin and turn against God? It's Satan. Hmm. Says the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are those who teach people to disobey the commandments of God. Where are they getting their doctrine, does it say? From the prince of the power of the ear. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. There's that phrase that we saw in Galatians, the lusts of the flesh. Paul says, before we got saved, we all walked in the lusts of our flesh. 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So what's he intimating? That, hey, that was a nice lifestyle. Let's continue it. No, he says stop. And in fact, in Ephesians 4, 17, he says it in black and white. For this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Well, if we're not going to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, what's our only other choice? Walk in the way of those who keep the commandments of God, right? Verse 24 says, walk in true righteousness. And what's that other word? Holiness. Without holiness, Hebrews 12, 14 says, no one will see God. Is that motivation? Is that keeping your eye on the prize? Is that trying to earn salvation? No. Is walking in righteousness because of our salvation. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Let me give you a minute, because 1 Peter can be hard to find, but believe it or not, it's before 2 Peter. I used to say it's right after the book of Second Opinions, but nobody laughed. <laughs> they just look for it. They just look for it. Oh, boy. Oh, I know, I know. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore, uh-oh, you can't start with therefore. Therefore what? Because Messiah defeated the powers of Satan. Therefore, since Messiah suffered for us in the flesh, that's how he defeated Satan. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. What's that mean? That from the time we get saved, how should we live? In the flesh of the lust? No. But according to the will of God, which is what? That we break his commandments? No, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Where does it tell us that? 1 John 5, verse 3, right. Verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter seems kind of disgusted that he ever took part in those kind of things, huh? But he says it's time to stop. Put that all behind us. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Speaking about, what's that? Why would Peter say that he had been doing the will of the Gentiles? Because when he was walking in sin, he wasn't following after the will of God. Was he one of those Greek, whatever they call them, to... He wasn't Greek. He was not Hellenistic, no, but he lived in Galilee of the Gentiles. Around the Sea of Galilee were ten Gentile cities, and they taught him bad things. Surprised. Are you surprised? Yeah, I never did any of those things. I'm just surprised that Peter did. 
Well, Peter lived in a different day than you and I. Okay. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. But before we read them, notice this 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about false teachers. And don't follow their examples. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Wait a minute. Did I say what I said? 9. 9-11. Okay. We'll do 9-11 first. Then 18. 9-11 says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for that day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They're presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, etc. But the point is, the false teachers want to lead you into the lust of uncleanness. It's a good thing we don't have any preachers today teaching people that homosexuality is okay. Yeah. So down to verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. What's he mean of emptiness? He means they mean nothing in the great scheme of things. Does it remind you of Matthew 15 and Mark 7 when Messiah said, In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men? That's teaching great words of emptiness. They're teaching them as though their doctrine, as if they're important, as if they're acceptable to God. And Messiah says, oh no, they're not. It says they allure through the loss of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. That is, they teach people, oh, no, 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 you, you don't want to keep the commandments of God. That means you have no faith. You need to demonstrate your faith by breaking the commandments to see how faithful God is. Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere. It's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. That's why they're called here what? False teachers. But do people want to hear you need to repent of your sins or that it's okay, God doesn't really mind? Which do they want to hear? They want to hear that have the ears tickled. I bet there's been at least three different preachers I've heard this week say, talking to a congregation of preachers at a conference, now you don't want to preach against sin because you'll have less people come and attend your church and they won't put as much offering in the offering plate. Wait. Yes, sir. Your previous point, surely Paul speaks precisely to that when he says that there are people that are saying, let's sin more that grace might, might abound. Romans chapter 6. Yeah, isn't that exactly that point? And that is. And he answers that so directly so that, you know, and... I'm, um, it obviously crops up a lot, your side of the water. I'm a little startled. I haven't really, I'm not saying that there won't be somebody over this side of the water, but it's not something that I would expect to hear out in the public domain. I'm glad to hear that because here in this country, we hear it all the time. All would just end the debate. Yeah. 
how many people teach that the Apostle Paul told us to stop keeping God's commandments? But Romans 6, he said, What then shall continue to sin that grace may abound? Made you know it to you even know it in Greek. What would it be in Hebrew? Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> It would be the equivalent of Mejanoito. Okay. Go to John. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. It would be a great big low in Hebrew. Mejanoito actually comes from the Greek, from the Hebrew, where you say amen. Janoito is kind of the equivalent of amen. So it's lo amen would be the Hebrew equivalent. Lo amen. Which means, taint so. First John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That ought to just nail the coffin shut. Maybe we should all just move to England. <laughs> okay. How about Israel? I'm there for you. Mm -hmm. When we go next fall, maybe we just won't come back. Okay. Where are we? We're back in Galatians chapter 5. If we're raptured a week before we go, are we going to complain? Do we get a refund? Do you get a refund? If you want a refund, I'm sure you can stay to take one, but no. Okay. Travel insurance like the rapture. Travel insurance, yeah. Yeah, but I have a feeling you won't want to collect it. Okay. Verse 17, 4, because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That is, they're at war with one another. The Spirit will never, ever lead you to walk in the lust of the flesh. It never will. If you think the Spirit is leading you to walk in the sins of this world, you might you're listening Baptist. to the wrong Spirit. What? You might be a Baptist. <laughs> Let's not put things like that on tape. Okay, okay. So verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. That is, if you just let your natural instincts take over, you're going to walk in sin. You have to put aside the natural inclination of the heart and follow the Spirit who will always lead you in the right way if you're following the right Spirit. And verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That is, you do not have to give a temptation. You do not have to walk in sin. We have a choice to put aside and repent of those things and walk uprightly before the Lord our God. How did 1 John put it? 1 John chapter 3 Starting in verse 4. Whoever commits sin 
also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, that is our Messiah Yeshua, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Messiah, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. This doesn't mean that we won't stumble on occasion, right? But can you walk in a lifestyle of sin if you've truly been born again? This says, no, you simply can't. You simply can't. What's that, Doc? The Greek is the, I think they call it infinitive. Where it's an I-N-G, it's a progressive tense. Stumbling when you're walking on a trail isn't following the whole trail. Right. Stumbling is an event. Walking the trail is the present, is a progression. Right. So it's not that we won't occasionally mess up, but can you live a lifestyle of sin? If you've been saved by faith, the answer is no. Not according to scripture. That's what this is trying to tell us, is that if you're living a lifestyle of sin, thinking that you're saved, stop thinking that. And go back and read the scriptures again. But we know what Paul taught Timothy, don't we? Go to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. One way to know when you're at the time of the end is what? People flocking to the Bible saying, I want to know. They won't endure sound doctrine. So you know how 2 Timothy chapter 3 ends, that all scriptures given by inspiration of God is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what does Paul then charge Timothy to do? So they charge you therefore before God and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah who will judge the living and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Which word? Love. Love, love, love. Wasn't that the Beatles song? All we need is love. Okay. Preach the word, he meant preach the scriptures, preach the word of God, preach God's commandments, statutes, and judgments. If you want people to come into the kingdom, you must show them the way. And the way is in the scripture. What does the scripture say? How shall they hear? hear? Yeah. So preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. Oh, there we go. No two befores. With all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, yes, ma'am. My daughter said that there's a generation gap right now that we can't communicate to this, like my grandchildren. Because they don't know how to communicate. 
all their communication is text messages with abbreviated words or letters. So how do you teach them if, if they don't know how to listen, if they don't know how to communicate like that? I guess we have to buy them Bibles and say, let's read together. But it's over their head. They say, can't you, can't you dumb it down? <laughs> Actually, that's what they tell us in seminaries, to dumb it down, to treat everybody like they're seven-year-olds with a short attention span. And most of the graduates do that. Yeah, that's why they say, take a verse or two at the most and tell a joke and then a homily and a couple more jokes and then pass the offering plate, they're fine. You know what I say to that? Y'all are smarter than that. But preach the word. They didn't have a New Testament. We said preach the word. They didn't have a New Testament. No Gee, word. so I wonder what he meant. The word was, remember when after the resurrection, the people walking on the road to Emmaus? Yeah. Where did Messiah start with? He started with Moses. With Moses and the prophets. And that's the word. That's the word, the law and the prophets. You're absolutely right. But it says, be ready in season and out of season. So if somebody stops you at the drugstore, the grocery store, out in the park, be ready. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, and what's that last word? Teaching. teaching. Matthew 28. What are we supposed to teach the world? <coughs> all things whatsoever. I have commanded you. <coughs> Excuse me. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. Right? Right. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. Psalm 119 verse 142 says what? Torah is true. We turn aside to fables. I don't have a good answer for Karen because I don't teach children. I have to leave that to my wife because... I'm not sure my tube of fours wouldn't come out. <laughs> and uh, she's got so much more patience than I. Well, I can speak from an elementary teacher. You can speak from an elementary teacher's perspective. It's, it's hard because, you know, you have to teach, when you're teaching what something means. When you're teaching what something means. Like within context, you have to show. Like within context. You have to show them, like, it's not just contained within the sentence, it's contained within all the sentences around it. Like everything that we uh huh. Make sure you're good and loud because so, you're on tape. So, like, how people look at scripture now, they just cherry pick verse out of, out of context. Yeah. And what do you do if you take a verse out of context? You make, you make it a pretext. So, what, we, what I try to teach them is like, don't just cherry pick one sentence or one word. Like, you have to look at everything around it. Yeah. And you just and you have to do that over, 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 over. Yep. And little by little, they start to understand. If you keep it in context, you will comprehend it so much more clearly. I agree with you. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. I didn't say it's easy. but <laughs> uh, You have so much more patience than I do. Uh, Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Wait a minute, that says the law doesn't apply. No, it doesn't. 
It says if you're led by the Spirit, you're not trying to earn your own salvation through works. Because you realize that your righteousness, your goodness is what? Like filthy rags. Yeah. And there's no way that you can ever, ever earn your salvation. So if you're walking under the Spirit, you're not trying to earn your salvation. How many of you, you don't have to show me your hands, I'll cover my eyes, have been said by somebody you know and love, you're just trying to earn your salvation? Is that what we're doing? Ah, uh, no. Verse 19, now. You know what, that, that would just be an and in the Hebrew. The works of the flesh are evident. What does that word evident mean? Clear as day. The Greek word is phanera. Greek word 5318. Let's go back to Matthew 12, 16. And find out exactly what that word means. Matthew twelve sixteen. Yes, some. If the people that only look at the New Testament. Don't look at the law. And the commandments. Then how do they know how to love their neighbor? They just think it means to make them a basket of cookies. Yeah. Be nice. Have a nice warm feeling. If it gives me a warm feeling, that means I love my neighbor. Yeah. Not if it gives my neighbor a warm feeling. Me. It's all So they're looking at it from an English perspective, a Western mindset. And you can't interpret the Bible from a Western mindset. The Hebraic way of thinking is, as you know, much different. <laughs> so Matthew twelve sixteen. here's the same word. Here's the same word. Yet he warned them not to make him known. Yet he warned them not to make him known. That word known is the same word in Greek. So that's what it means. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are known. It's not hidden. We don't have to wonder. Which are, number one, adultery. But wait a minute. That's a commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Paul didn't tell us that commandments are done away with. That's people misinterpreting says adultery, well, that's evident that that is sin. Fornication. That word fornication refers to sexual immorality. And there's a whole chapter back in the Torah on sexual immorality. Give me one New Testament example that comes from the chapter on immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the man's having intimate relations with his father's wife. That's sexual immorality. It's a Torah violation. And how did Paul say they should react to it? Kick the guy out of the church until he repents and comes to his senses. The next word is uncleanness. Uncleanness. Paul says eating things that are unclean 
as well as other forms of uncleanness, it's obvious that that is wrong. Oh, but Wayne, that just means they didn't read Acts 10, where God told Peter everybody can eat pigs now. That's not what Acts 10 says at all. And you know it, so I won't go over it again. What's the next one? Lewdness. Lewdness. Has anybody been to a beach lately? Did you have to cover your eyes and walk in the dark? Ugh. Idolatry. Sorcery, which includes drug abuse. Hatred. Contentions. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Heresies. Envy. Murders. <laughs> That's kind of funny. The NIV omits two out of those lists. Do you know which two? Adultery and murder. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that word practice mean? It's the Greek word prasantes, Greek word 4238. Keep a finger here. Let's go to Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. We'll start in 19 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. Which of those words do you think is the same word? as practice it's the word do do and in this verse in verses 19 and 20 of acts 26 it means to keep on doing works benefiting repentance and that is what the meaning is back here in galatians chapter 5 those who practice those things means those who willfully continue to do them those who simply think it doesn't matter. You know what? It matters. Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. They go together as a group. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That is, if you're truly walking in the Spirit, you're going to walk in love. You're going to treat people as you would want to be treated yourself. Peace. You're not going to go around picking fights. Long-suffering. You're going to be understanding. You're going to be gentle. You're going to correct and reprove gently. Put down the two-befores. Kindness. 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What does that mean? God doesn't forbid love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. Yes, it doesn't say there's no commandment to do them. It says there's no commandment against them. So yes, if you're walking in these commandments of God, these are good commandments, commandments that show a spirit of humbleness and gentleness and compassion and long-suffering. Let's go to Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. In Messiah's terms here, as the words are written in red, these things would be described as fruits. Matthew 12, starting in verse 33, says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What does it mean, either make the tree good or make it bad? Make up your mind. What's wrong with being lukewarm? You get vomited out. Yeah, God will not tolerate lukewarmness. You must choose. And verse 34 shows that these people made a choice, right? He calls them brood of vipers. What choice did they make? They chose bad. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Hmm. Does that mean we need to be careful what we say and how we talk? Hmm. Back to Galatians chapter 5, we're up to verse 24. And those who are Messiahs, what does that mean, those who are Messiahs? Those who are believers, those who have been saved by faith, washed clean in Messiah's shed blood, says have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What's that mean? It means we put to death the only, it means we stop sinning, we repent, we turn away from the sins, don't we? And we walk in newness of life, and what do you say, true righteousness, and what was that other word? Holiness, Ephesians chapter 4 said. We're going to look at three cross-references. First, Edmund mentioned a few minutes ago, Romans 6. Let's go to Romans 6. The reason I didn't turn to it a few minutes ago is, I was going to turn to it now. Anyone who tells me that Paul taught us that we can walk in sin and God likes it needs to go back and read Paul's writings again. 
What shall we say then, verse 1 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. But it goes on. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you have been saved by faith, you have died to sin. If you haven't died to sin, were you truly saved by faith? Scripture says no. Verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized in a Messiah, Yeshua were baptized into his death? That's what going under the water symbolizes. We're air breathers under the water. It symbolizes death. That you've gone into the ground with Messiah. Died to the old flesh. Died to the sinful ways. You come out of the water a new life. Verse 4. Though we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. Don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Don't continue to live as a Gentile. What was that reference? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Hey, Wayne? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I, I just really need clarification on this. I love the Hebrew the words in Hebrew, if it's a continuing thing. When I was radically saved at 19 years old, I went from serving the devil to radically serving the Lord, and I have never gone back. But I am not the person at 19 that I am at 68. It has been a continual process of falling down, getting picked up, going. I've never gone backwards, but it is an incremental going toward him. How, what does that say? Is it? Is, I don't understand enough Hebrew to know. Is that a continually being saved? What does that word look like in Hebrew? That word you're looking for in English is sanctification. Okay. Sanctification means cleaning out the old stuff and replacing it with holiness and righteousness. It doesn't happen overnight. It's right. a process. Hebrew says you by now you should be teachers but you're still babies needing the milk of the word. He encourages us to grow on and grow up and get into the meat of the word. And that's what we do. Thank you. Yep. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So how do we discover what sin is that we can avoid it? It's through study, isn't it? Because you can't do what you don't know. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, what do I do when I confront a situation and find that I have been sinning and didn't realize it, now I know? You have two choices. You repent, and if you repent, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Or you can say, eh, I've been doing it this long. I can keep doing it. I've seen both reactions out of people. I heard my own mama say, I've searched through the scriptures. And I, it says just what you say it says. 
But I've eaten pig all my life and I'm not going to quit now. When you find that you've been doing something contrary to the scripture, if you're born again, you're going to say, oh, I didn't know that. I repent. I'm never doing that again. Or if you're not, just say, ah, I don't care. God can just lump it. I never want to say to God, you can just lump it because I may be the one who gets the lumps. But Romans, what's that, Rachel? Going along that, uh, that thinking, um, just based on one website, uh, saying, because I sent you the website back some time ago, uh, just one, one website saying that you know, this, this food is unclean, even though you look at the ingredients and it doesn't say that. And so that's one thing I've been still been dealing with is because um, some of the foods that we thought were, were clean, this one website saying they're not. And so it's very difficult to weigh which one is right, because uh, I understand that that's kosher symbol. I understand that completely. But the food that doesn't, and that we don't know about, and things that are hidden in our food, when they classify it as natural flavors, MSG, or um, enzymes, um, I'm still toying with that, trying to figure out. Because now, granted, I may not be, but the rest of the family is. And so, um, that's why I'm having a great difficult time because I, I was getting grief because I was finding, I was looking at this one website, I was getting grief um, because I was saying we can't eat this anymore, we don't need to buy this anymore, and he said, well, uh, so I'm, I'm, tr I'm toying with trying to figure out, I understand if it's kosher, the problem is not everything that we have in our house is, is kosher, right. and right. just trying to figure out what to do about it. My approach is if it doesn't say that it's kosher, I go out and check on the websites for the manufacturers of the product. They will tell you whether it is or isn't. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. So back to Romans is 6. MSG? Or not. Is MSG? You were saying something about the MSG. Is that uncomfortable? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Just, that's, that's a little bit far off topic here. So... Um, so a lot of people are allergic to MSG, but there's, okay. See, so it says, can't think offhand, but is there Old Testament scripture like we enjoy in the new from definition that says that breaking the Torah is sin? Yes. Okay. Yep, that's the simple answer. Yeah. <clears throat> Lots of them. Okay. While we're off topic. How, Romans 6 leads into it. Yep. That's why I was reminded of I've been studying the book of Romans for a long time. But anyhow, this week I was studying chapter 7 uh -huh. as it flowed from 6. Right. And I, we keep seeing Galatians, Romans, uh, places that say we're dead to the law. Right. And I finally, I think by revelation, I think I understand what that means. Good. Romans 7, 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. That thing talks about a woman is under the law of her husband, but right. he dies, she's free to marry another. Okay, We died to the law so that we can be married to the lawgiver. Mm-hmm. 
So no longer are we having the law put the penalty of death on us and the penalty of violating it. We are now married to him who gave the law. He's written the law in our hearts. And at this point, because we love him, Messiah, why would we break the law? Because yeah, exactly. That, yep. If your way. sin costs his death, why would you want to do it again and again? Yeah, I agree. So let's go back to Romans 6 because we haven't finished that yet. We're in verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That word freed means cleared from the sentence where the wages of sin is death. The death penalty has been paid. Now, if we died with Messiah, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Messiah Yeshua our Lord. That's what even chapter 7 is trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. What does that mean? Repent and stop sinning. Don't be married to sin. Right. Okay, on to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 14. John chapter 5, verse 14. Afterward, Yeshua found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Sin what? No more. No more. What does that mean? Don't do it. means stop it. Don't do it. John 8, 11. Or something worse is going to come on you. Verse 11. Yeah. Verse 11. She said, no one, Lord. And Yeshua said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I keep looking for the one where he says, go sin again. It's okay. But I can't find it. Have you? I've asked people, doesn't it surprise you that there's nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere that somebody eats a pig? And people go, nah. Still says we can. But it was in the Old Testament, wasn't it? They talked about them being under the trees and eating the, the foul fruit. Well, back to Galatians <clears throat> chapter 5. Verses 25 and 26. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's an Hebraic term. What's it mean to walk? It means that's how we live our life. Do we live our life in obedience to sin or in obedience to God's Holy Spirit? If it's in obedience to God's Holy Spirit, will the Holy Spirit ever lead us into sin? The answer is no. 
If your spirit is leading you into sin, where does that spirit come from? We read about it earlier in this Bible study. From the prince of the air, which is Satan. Verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That's not the way you walk in love. What does it mean to become conceited? Self-important, self-centered, self-righteous, arrogant, prideful. Are those good things? No. Or being a legend in your own mind. Or being a legend in your own mind. Are we supposed to provoke each other? We're supposed to teach each other. We're supposed to correct each other. That's not the same thing as to provoke one another. Nor should we envy one another. You may have a nicer ex than I have. So what? The scripture says, be content where you are. Um, let us turn back to Genesis chapter 19. No, let's go to Genesis 18. That's even better. Because I circled the word sin. Verse 20 says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. So how does God describe their breaking his commandments? As sin. We could also have gone to Genesis 19, verse 15. Which says, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. It's not the word punishment. It's the word sin. Savon. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Avon calling. If Avon's calling, run. Okay, back to Galatians. We're up to chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. Good place to start, huh? Brethren, who's Paul talking to? Believers. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, what's a trespass? It's a sin. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That word trespass, let's see how it's used in other places. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Verses 14 to 15. Let 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, by that he means what? Sins against you. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, that is, sins committed against you, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, that is, the sins you have committed against him. Let's go to Matthew 4.21. What's that? Matthew 4.21. You saying I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah, probably wrong. They're going fishing there. That makes sense. But that is the right verse. Yeah, it is. The word mending. Yeah. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. That's the same word. It's the same, oddly enough. That's why I thought we should look at it. It seems opposite. I mean, I know. Because I'm pulling your leg, that's why. This word. <laughs> You're making, okay, sorry, I'll be straight. This is how you um, reconcile. The mending the nets is the same as forgiving the trespasses. It's repairing the breach. It's repairing that which separates. <laughs> Second Timothy. Well, never mind. <laughs> we'll just skip that one. Galatians 6, verse 2. Just as she said it was the wrong place, I thought, well, never mind. Verse 2. Got to have some fun sometime. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Messiah. That word law is the Greek word nomos, N-O-M-O-S. It appears 197 times in the New Testament. But it's described different ways. So in verse 2 it's called what? The law of Messiah. That's the same as the Torah. It's being described here as the law of Messiah. That's the Torah. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 23. Yeah, they're trying to say it's something different. They say it's the new law that's replaced God's law. The Messiah came to do away with all that God commanded. Someday they will be surprised, won't they? Luke 2, verses 23 and 24. As it is written in the law of the Lord. So in Galatians, it's called the law of Messiah. Here it's called the law of the Lord. That shouldn't surprise us because the law is the law and the Lord is Messiah. And verse 24 says, And offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the 
law of the Lord. That is the same word, namas, as we find in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. In Luke 2, let's look at verse 39. So they performed all things according to the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. The reason I want you to see Luke 2 in particular, all three occasions here is, could this be referring to a new law that Jesus enacted to replace the law of God? No, how do you know? He's 40 days old. At 40 days old, he hasn't taught them anything, right? So the law of the Lord refers back to the same Torah that we've always known and loved. And it's called in Galatians 6, 2, the law of Messiah. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. This same nomos, N-O-M-O-S, in Luke 24, verse 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. This law of Moses is the same Torah that was called the Law of Messiah in Galatians 6 and the Law of the Lord in Luke chapter 2. Let us go to John chapter 7, verse If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? How is the Torah referred to here as? The law of Moses. Now let's go to Acts chapter 13. In James it was called what? It was called the royal law. Or the law of liberty in James also. John or yep, John seven twenty three. Do we go to that one? Yeah. Acts thirteen then. Acts thirteen verse thirty And by him everything who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So here again the Torah is referred to as the law of Moses. And in Acts 28.23 It's all talking about the same Torah. Acts 28, 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained the solemnly testified the kingdom of God, persuading him concerning Yeshua from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So what did Paul use while he's in prison about to die to preach the gospel to his people? The Torah. And he called it the law of Moses. And then in Romans 
Romans 7.22, he calls it what? For I delight in the law of God. So we've had law of Messiah, law of the Lord, law of Moses, law of God. How about Ezra chapter 7? Ooh, that's a long way back there. Ezra's right before Nehemiah. And you'll see why I wanted to end on that one. It says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. People say the law of Moses, that doesn't mean God's commandments. That means those that Moses made up to put on top of God's commandments just to bind people and give them a heavy burden. Where does this tell us the law of Moses came from? The Lord, the God of Israel. He's the one who had given it to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's right. So go back to Galatians, chapter 6, verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. What in the world does that mean? It means if you think you're saved, but you're not, you're not going to fool God. That's what Matthew chapter 7 is all about. Go back to Matthew 7. I know you guys know it by heart. But verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? What does that tell you? They think they're saved. They say this proves it. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think if you go back up to verse 4 and 5 too, that also... You go back up to verses 4 and 5 yeah, about, about getting the plank speck out of get your the speck eye. out of your eye for you complain about somebody else's uh-huh. tinier piece. Yeah. Look at Matthew 25. These words have been on my mind lately. Matthew 25, verse 1. God bless you. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. What about all ten? All ten. When it says virgins, it means a woman anticipating a wedding. How many of these expect to be married to Messiah when that trumpet blows? All ten. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. When do you go out to meet the bridegroom? When the trumpet sounds and the shout is made for the bride to come forth. All ten grab their lamps and start running for the bridegroom. They all believe they're saved. 
what happened then? Verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That relates back to Matthew chapter 7, doesn't it? Verses 21 to 23, where in verse 23 said, I never knew you. Every one of these believe they're the bride of Messiah. Every one of these have been listening for the trumpet call. They believe they're saved. But are they all saved because they think they are? No. That's what the caution is in Galatians chapter 6. If you think you're saved and you're not, you're only deceiving yourself. Messiah is not deceived. Verse 4 says, But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Why do we need to examine ourselves? On judgment day, we're only responsible for ourselves and should we not be able to look at our lives and see whether we are walking in righteousness or lawlessness? The word here in, number, in verse 4 is ergon, E-R-G-O-N, ergon, Greek word 2041. Let's look and see other places where that word is used, that word work. Let's go to Matthew 5.16. Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. There's that same word. And glorify your Father in heaven. Do the good works, wait a minute, isn't that what they were saying in Matthew 7, verse 22? We've cast out demons, we've done all these things in your name, weren't these good works? No. What does it mean, good works? Let's keep reading. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. Matthew 23, verse 5 starts making it look pretty clear. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So the commandments they're keeping, are they doing them to honor God or to be seen by men? To be praised, to be patted upon the back. So does our motivation matter to God? Very much. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24, 19.
He said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Yeshua of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed. That's work. That is ergon. And word before God and all the people. How was he mighty indeed? Did he keep God's commandments? Absolutely. He absolutely did. When he did a miraculous healing, did he do it so people would pat him on the back? No. Or did he say, don't tell anybody? Why would he do all these miracles and say, now don't go spreading it around? Because he didn't want praise of people. That was not his motivation. He wanted God to get the glory. John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. John chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That word deeds is ergon. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. But he who does the truth, what does that mean? How do you do the truth? You keep Torah. So if you're keeping Torah, you don't mind people seeing what you're doing. If you're walking in sin, that's when you don't necessarily want everybody to know. Let's look at Revelation 20. Same word in Revelation 20. And this time I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 13. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. That's that same word. By the things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead and who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, they were trying to say the things that they thought were good, but were not commanded by God. And the Lord was saying, yeah, but what I commanded you ignored. Can we not substitute for what God commanded the things we think he ought to like instead? You're laughing at me like that's stupid. We're coming into this season where a lot of people are going to be thinking, oh, we're celebrating the Lord's birth and we're doing all kinds of good things. And he just has to love it. Yeah, there's a lot of people right now real sensitive about that topic. Revelation 22, verses 12 to 14. The last words Messiah speaks on the topic using this word, ergon. Revelation 22, verses 12 to 14. And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I'm the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Boy, how much clearer could God write it? 
And then what does the Baptist commentary here say? Do you remember? It says the authorized version has unhappily utilized a Greek text here that is faulty and teaches what the rest of the Bible denies, that is salvation by keeping the commandments. Rather, salvation comes by symbolically washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So what is this commentary from a King James only school saying? That you should be using the NIV instead of the King James. Oh my goodness. They're the same ones who say the KJV is inerrant in every word. I know. Okay. Back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. We're up to verse 5. Uh-oh. For each one shall bear his own load. That means everyone is responsible for their own works come judgment day. There's no going to be saying, hey, hey, my pastor taught me wrong, so it's not my fault. Everyone will stand in judgment by themselves. Verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. People look at that and say, oh, oh, this means we got to pay the preacher. No, what did Paul say? Go to 1 Corinthians 9. Let's understand it correctly. 1 Corinthians 9. Scripture says, don't muzzle the ox, let him eat from the grain. But 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 18. Maybe we'll do the shorter version. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Who's Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of his fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink in the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the Torah say the same also? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is an oxen God's concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Messiah. What did Paul say? He said, maybe I had the right to be fed by you and to receive lodging from you, but I didn't do it. But then verse 14, he says, it is okay for those who do. Even so, the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Yes. 
And when Messiah taught, sent them out two by two, what did he say? Take the money in your purse, accept their food and lodging. He didn't say, pass the offering plate and take 10% of their money. Okay. Didn't people voluntarily help him when he was in prison? Yeah. Because he had to pay his own way in prison. Right. Yeah. Okay. Back to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That refers back to Romans chapter 6. So God's judgment will be fair and honest, whether you like it or not. What does it say in Galatians 6? Verse 16. Romans 6.16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves servants to obey, you are that one's servants whom you obey, whether it's sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So if you sow sin, what do you reap? Death. If you sow obedience, what do you reap? Righteousness, life. Did God talk about this back in Psalm 9? Let's go back to Psalm 9. I'm trying to get through the end by 8 o'clock. I'm not going to make it. Swing and a miss, but at least I tried. Psalm 9. So next week we'll finish it up and start the Q&A. So if you got Q&As, send them in. Psalm 9.8. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Do you realize people would rather it say he shall judge the world in mercy? But that's not what it says. He shall judge the world in righteousness. So those who teach that God would never send somebody to the lake of fire because God's a loving God needs to realize that God is also a God of righteous judgment go to Psalm 50 verse 6 let the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge Psalm 67, verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Yeah, how does Isaiah... And Psalm 2 say he's going to judge and govern the nations with a rod of iron. Yeah, that's righteous judgment. Psalm 96 verse 10. Psalm 96 verse 10. Say among the nations... 
the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 17. Come on, come on, you're in there. Little pages. Ecclesiastes 3, 17 says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. God's going to judge who? Everybody. Isaiah 11, verse 4. Isaiah 11, verse 4. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. When do we see that literally fulfilled? In Revelation 19, right at Armageddon. Mm -hmm. One more verse, then we'll quit. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 20. But, O oh, Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart. Let them see your vengeance on them, for, I have, for to you I have revealed my cause. All that to say the Lord will judge righteously is he judges us based upon what we did. Would you like blessings? Then live righteously. You want fierce judgment? Then you can live in sin. But what a man sows, that he also reaps. And with that, we'll bring the Bible study to a close. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8.